Welcome back to Parallel Passion. In this episode, I speak with Swizet. You might know him as the author of a very successful blog post turned book, Why Programmers Work at Night. But he wrote several books and what seems to be an endless pile of blog posts. Yet, he still finds time for his parallel passions like boxing, running, longboarding, and many others. All of which we discuss in this episode. Enjoy. Okay, um, hi, uh, and, and welcome, Swizet. Hi, thanks for having me, Miha. Um, right, so let's let's start with just um, a quick introduction of um, who are you and, and what do you do. Hi everyone, I'm Swizz. Uh, I call myself a geek with a hat because I wear a bowler hat with a card in it. You may have seen me around the internet. I'm on Twitter. On uh, I have a blog where I've been writing for like 10 years, maybe even more than 10 years, semi-regularly. Uh, usually I write about web development and lately for the past many years it's been mostly about front end and react and javascript and things like that i've published a couple of books on the topic as well the most successful one so far has been react plus d3v4 where i talk about how to use react and d3 together to to make data visualization um one of a book I've been meaning to finish for a couple of years now is also called Why Programmers Work at Night, and that one's more about the soft skills of of programming and how to structure your time and things like that. And it's one of those passion projects that I kind of never get back to because there's just too much other stuff going on. This is also one of the first ones that you that you were working on, right? Yeah, it's actually the first one that I was working on. It was what got it was that. It was what gave me that first experience of, oh, wow, you can put something online and people will pay money for it. <laughs> and then you don't have to do work to get money. You can like decouple work from money getting. And that's just an amazing feeling. And I've been trying to figure out how to get more of that basically ever since. Yeah, um, I like you said, a geek with a hat, but mm-hmm. I, I think you're known more known for the parrot because, <laughs> um, like in all your uh, Instagrams and live streams and stuff, it's like the parrots everywhere. That's true. Um, so, yeah, what's the story? Why parrot? So the funny story about the parrot he he came into existence about three years ago now. Uh, he actually celebrated his hatch day on January twenty. 20- third and he was exactly three years old so two weeks ago but the way we got him was that my girlfriend went drunk into a petco a couple years ago (laughs) and she was looking at bun she wanted to go look for bunnies and just because they let you pet pet animals there if you ask and if you pretend that you're gonna buy them they let you play with them (laughs) and so she was drunk one day and her she and a friend went and they wanted to pet some bunnies but then instead, she saw this bird and immediately fell in love with Kiwi. Um, and I decided, because she fell so much in love with this creature, I decided to buy him for her as like our first and for our first anniversary and her birthday because they're like two weeks apart. Um, so yeah, that's how we got a parrot. And the funny thing is that he's technically her parrot, but he likes me more these days. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you're around more, especially with all these streams and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the my home office is like the sunniest room in the apartment, so he really loves spending time with me, you know, with me when I'm working. Mm-hmm. And I have like a perch for him attached to the window, and there's food in here, and he just kind of derps around and gets in my way when I'm trying to work. So, um, you write books, obviously, like I said. What was the the main the first thing that you said, okay, I'm I'm gonna stop with blog posts and I'm gonna do like a legit book. So that's a there's a funny how well I've I've been thinking about writing books ever since I was a kid. Like growing up, I had basically two dreams. One was I'm going to be a famous programmer, and another one was I'm going to be a famous writer. And then in high school, or yeah, I guess in late high school, I. Fi- late high school, early college, somewhere thereabouts, I figured out I can probably put these two things together. And I started writing blogs, blogs, which are both writing and programming. And I had a lot of success with that. And one of them was like a rant about um, 
at the time I was still living at home and this was mostly a rant about how I can never get enough peace and quiet to code and to write and be, be creative and all of that. And I wrote a post called Why Programmers Work at Night. And this little essay got crazy popular on Reddit. I think it's one of the few times that something from our programming got to the front front page of Reddit. Uh, I think I was there for maybe only 20 minutes, but you know, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. um, well, front page on Reddit is, is pretty legit even for a couple of minutes. Yeah, that's true. And it was kind of crazy. So I wrote that and then I decided, wait, there's something here. Like a lot of people really identify with this little post that I wrote in. I think I actually wrote it in a coffee shop while shooing away my girlfriend at the time who I was supposed to be on a date with because I was trying to publish daily and I had a an artificial de- deadline in the middle of the day of when I'm going to publish this. Um, like when I'm going to buy the the latest by when I'm going to publish every day. And I was frantically finishing it and putting pictures in. And she was like, no, that picture's bad and helped me pick back better pictures. And I posted it and then I closed my laptop and I went on with having our date and hang out. I don't know what we did. Um, <laughs> so, so you did not write it at night? I did not actually write it at night. Funnily, I, I write better in the early morning than I do at night. I program better at night. Um, Interesting. Yeah, there's actually research about that. If you're a night owl, you're actually more creative in the morning and more productive in the evening. And if you're a morning person, you're more productive in the morning and more creative in the evening. Interesting. Yeah, because for for me, like both programming and writing are sort of creating endeavors. So, Mm -hmm. um, and like there's a lot of writing and programming as well, especially in the high level as like the the one that I do. Um, So, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. I I remember reading research and this was actually stuff I was researching for the Why Programmers Work at Night book. And they just said that, (coughs) <coughs> your they defined creativity as being able to solve puzzles that require a um, leap of imagination puzzles that you can't just work hard through uh, because they they require some flash of insight or something like that and they found that you're better at that in the opposite of when you're best at being at banging out tasks and just getting shit done so while on on topic of uh, getting shit done, mm-hmm. um, let's talk about boxing. <laughs> <laughs> how how did that begin, and like why, and what's your like um, progress there? Ah, uh, boxing. So I've been boxing now for I want to say six or seven years, almost it almost every week. Um, I had some periods where I wasn't boxing. I had periods where I was religiously going every day these days i'm on about two to three times a week and i've never actually had a fight i've it having an actual fight is something that i'm potentially interested in it's kind of a scary step and i'm getting kind of old now to get started in actual fighting and in competition mm-hmm. um it's kind of crazy like I I'm used to I was used to always being the fastest guy at the gym because I'm short and that gives you fast arms <coughs> because they don't have to travel as much distance and you're lighter and all of that. I don't know the science behind it, but short people, short light people are usually faster boxers than big heavy people. Mm-hmm. And I guess potentially that's just how inertia works. Um and now that now that I'm in now that I've passed the magical 30 barrier i'm no longer the fastest it's kind it's kind of scary when you get into the ring with someone and they their hands just move faster than yours do it's really terrifying but that's as far as i go i do sparring i try to spar as much as i can and it's a one of the interesting things that comes with boxing is this sort of strange confidence that you get there's a I don't know how to explain how else to explain it, but there's a it's a very manly kind of confidence that you get from knowing that you can get punched in the face and it doesn't phase you, and it's it's not actually that bad to get punched in the face. Yeah, well, um, I, I agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you been punched in the face? 
Uh, well, yeah, but I generally try to avoid it if I can. I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. not actively looking to get punched in the head. It's true. It's it's not the best idea, but with boxing gloves, it's surprisingly comfy. You say that you actually want to like go for a for a real fight. Um, mm-hmm. Is is there a possibility of getting like? Um, I mean, of course, there's possibility, but w- what's the likelihood of like getting your head banged up as much that you won't be able to program? Um, I'm pretty sure it's more likely that that will happen on my electric boosted board. <laughs> yeah. But, because the thing is, at my weight class, uh, knockouts are very rare because they're ju- the forces involved just aren't that big. Because um, I'm, not, I'm not like a heavyweight fighter. In heavyweight, it's, it's terrifying. Every, literally every punch could... Well, maybe not kill you, but every punch could be a knockout punch. With uh, with my weight class, I'm like under 60 kilograms, 127 pounds, something like that. You actually have to get punched in the head a lot, like many, many times before you get knocked out. Um, and especially in amateur fighting, they're very careful. They're, they're, the referees are very quick to count you out. If you see... If they see you not defend yourself for 10 seconds, they will stop the fight and say you lost. Mm-hmm. It's very unlikely that you will get actually hurt. Plus, amateur fights are with headgear, so it's even more safe. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I can I can imagine that helping. Um, I mean, honestly, you could get hit by a car just wa- pa- crossing the street, and that's a lot more. Oh, yeah. yeah do for, a lot more I mean, to... Once you get into like what could happen, yeah, then <laughs> um, a lot of things can happen. But yeah, boxing itself is not that dangerous. Why did you become interested in boxing? Like, what was the first thing that you said? Okay, I want to do this. Um, as these stories go, I watched a couple of boxing movies, and I got really curious. It's uh, I don't actually know what got me into it, but I needed. Was it Rocky that you watched Stallone and you're like, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> I want to fight. No, meet. he. <laughs> I mean, have you seen how bloody he gets in that movie? Exactly. That will, that will not get you into boxing. <laughs> <coughs> uh, for me, it was actually, I think, Cinderella Man was this really good movie with Russell Crowe, and that got me really curious about boxing. And there's a gym, uh, there's a really good boxing gym in Ljubljana that I can't rem- I think it's just called Kickboxing Club, Club Ljubljana. Mm-hmm. And they have a really, really great coach, and I've been, I was with them for many years before I moved to the U.S. And it's just a, a great sport. You, they teach you everything from the beginning. It's a very disciplined. And I, t- I tried it and I just fell in love and I've been doing it forever since. And one thing I really like about it w- compared to other martial arts is that boxing is a very honest sport. It's just two people get in the ring and the person who lands more punches wins. There's no flourishy kicks and spins and all these weird things and rules about what you can or can't do. I mean, there are some rules about what you can't do that are designed for to protect both fighters. But mm-hmm. in general, you have three different punches. You can execute them with either arm. So that makes six different punches. And that's it. Everything else is just combination of those six things and defense and all of that. It's a, it's a really... Nice, simple sport. But you were in a kickboxing club. So were you ever interested in, in doing that as well? So like actual kickboxing? I don't know. Kicking, Kickboxing is terrifying. <laughs> well, like, for me, both are equally terrifying. So I don't know. There's, there's, I feel like there's a huge step between boxing where, okay, somebody is going to punch you in the face with a nicely padded glove that has a lot of padding on it. Versus kickboxing, where somebody is going to knee you in the face with their knee that doesn't have anything on it. Yeah, I don't know. It's it. It feels very different. Plus, it's it's really hard. I've tried like a kickboxing training where I was just doing some kicks, and it's exhausting. It's so much harder than boxing, and it's it goes a bit too far for me. I think. Mm. You mentioned your boosted board before. Mm-hmm. Um, were you longboarding and like skating or any any sort of things with four wheels on it um, before boosted board or I've never actually been and I've never been a skateboarder. I know that when we were growing up in uh, 
I think it was elementary and middle school, skateboarding was extremely popular. Oh yeah, it was. I only, I only got as far as dressing like a skateboarder. Um, but I never actually skateboarded. I think I tried a couple of times and I couldn't even do an ollie. It's just, yeah. Um, I do not understand how that works. I, pretty similar story here. <laughs> I, I dressed like one and super popular, but I couldn't do anything on it. <laughs> yeah, it's like I could stand on a on a skateboard and I could ride it around, but that was about it. Um, then in college, I... I spent a lot of time rollerblade. I used to rollerblade a lot. Mm-hmm. That was another thing that was very popular in the 90s. So we all grew up rollerblading, right? Yeah. And at some point in college, I dusted off my old rollerblades and started using them as my main mode of transport, which was really great. It it was great for my legs. It's it's great for exercise, right? It is, but like once you once you arrive and you take them off, like it's it's not great. Exactly, it's so impractical. Always having to carry extra shoes and always never knowing what to do with your rollerblades. Yeah, there's a startup idea. Make make rollerblades like that. You don't sweat like a pig in. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I, so that's when I tried a friend's uh, longboard. I, it seemed like that would be something cool. It's still manual. You still power it. Unlike a bike, you don't have to lock it up somewhere. And unlike a, a rollerblade, you don't need to ha- bring extra shoes. You just pick up the longboard and bring it with you to class. So I tried his longboard for like a week or two. And I really liked it. And I bought my own on some German site uh, where they sell cheap longboards. And I, and I really got into longboarding. And I was longboarding for a while. Eventually, my my uh, quiver of longboards grew to, I think, two or three of them. And then I left them all in Slovenia and moved here. And I bought a boosted board because I needed to go boxing every day. And it turns out that boosted boards are really, really expensive. Yeah, they are. But because I'm riding it every day to go from work to boxing and then back home, it... If I was Ubering that much, I could buy a new boosted board every three months. Mm. And do you have the the boosted board two or the original one? I actually have both. Oh, cool! I bought the original. <laughs> I bought the original boosted board, r- rode it every day for I think a year and a half, and then as soon as they came out with version two, I ordered version two and started riding that. Um, is the difference noticeable, or or the ride is a bit smoother? I mean. It has the same top speed, which sucks because it's it goes twenty two miles an hour, which I think is around thirty four kilometers an hour. Well, I I don't think you would want to go much faster because like then the stopping distances get really long as well. And as you mentioned, it's They're not the safest. Crazy long. Yeah, exactly. It's not the safest thing yeah. around. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I think the re- they say they don't want to make it faster for safety reasons. I think that it's secretly because of battery range distance reasons Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still the fastest electric vehicle out there that's not an actual scooter Mm. or a car Um, and i don't know i just when you're riding in a straight line for two miles because all the roads here are very straight it feels extremely slow then you look down and you realize you're going pretty fast but it it always feels too slow you know know, once you get used to a certain speed it's always too slow do you wear any protective gear yeah, I, I always wear a full-face longboarding helmet from my longboarding days. Um, it's partially to protect me from the wind, and it has also saved my face before, where I've had a couple of crashes where without my full-face helmet, my teeth would not be happy, or my face in general. Yeah, which is not a good thing in, in US with healthcare they have there. <laughs> oh, dude, everything is so expensive here. But also just... F- I like my face <laughs> uh, and I do not want to leave it on the road, but so yeah, I always, I always wear a helmet. I make sure I wear a helmet. I used to wear sliding gloves, but they're very impractical. So I stopped doing that and I don't really wear any padding because it is very unlikely that you're going to need padding on a boosted board. And that could also just be because of my extensive experience with crashing longboards going down hills where I did wear padding. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like you said, the the roads are straight there, but I can imagine there's a lot of hills in, in San Francisco or not in your commute. Yeah. In my commute, there are no hills, which is very pleasant, but there are really steep hills here in general. 
And the nice thing about a boosted board is that it goes up a 25% hill with pretty much the same speed as it does on flat. Oh, that's cool. Which is terrifying. Yeah, that's that would be terrifying. It's extremely terrifying, but also very... I love doing it and passing cyclists because they always get really annoyed. <laughs> they get really upset when you zoom past them. Yeah. And like with zero force at all, you're not even yeah, you're like, moving you're a muscle. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you're just chilling on it. How many cyclists are there? Is it is it as popular as it is in Ljubljana and like Europe in general, or is it less so? Mm. It's really interesting because when my mom came to visit, she said, wow, nobody is cycling around here. But at the same time, San Franciscans consider cycling to be like a core part of their identity. Mm. So what I think happens here is that there's not a lot of casual cycling. Like in Ljubljana, you'll see everybody on their old bikes and just going for short rides here and there. Here, everyone who is cycling is extremely serious and gets a $2,000 bike or more. Yeah, that wouldn't fly in Ljubljana because you can get it, but you won't have it for a very long time. <laughs> exactly. And he, what people do here is they, they ride their bike only from home to, straight to work and from work straight home. Nobody uses their bikes for like errands and shit like that. Mm. It's only, it's purely for commute. You ride it for 20 minutes as fast as you can, basically straight to work. Then you park it in your, in the, in the office somewhere. They always bring it to the office and then you ride it home. You never use it to like go to the pizza shop or go to the store or something like that. Like we do in Ljubljana. Yeah, it's a very similar experience I had in Portland. I, I saw like a graffiti which said like Portland, uh, the bicycle capital of the US. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is like zero bicycles. Have you been to Europe like ever? Um, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> bicycles, where? <laughs> but in the morning when it's like between 9 and 10 a.m., there are bicycles everywhere. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the difference because here they are, like you said, all the time. It's not just yeah. in the morning. It's not here just it's here, people use them just for for commutes. And I think that's the main difference. Mm. Like, they're not casual. Have you ever been interested in getting a bike? They're too cumbersome, and they would get stolen at my boxing gym. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess longboard is much more practical. Yeah, because I just bring it into, my, into the locker room and put it there. And it's... Because uh, I live across the street from work. I don't actually commute, commute to work. I really use it to commute to the gym and back because... I live across the street, but my boxing gym is two miles away. Right. Well, you could run there, you know, for warm-up. It would take too long, but yeah. Two miles is not that much. Come on. You ran marathons. <laughs> I've run marathons, but it's very different when you're trying to get there really fast straight from work and you have your backpack with your laptop and all your shit. Oh, right. Yeah, no, that wouldn't fly. But yeah. if you, I mean, you see, so yeah, you live across the street, so you can easily just take your shit home. And yeah, but you know, you know how it is. I'm sure <laughs> you've experienced this, where if you go home, it's very hard to get back out there. Well, you know, I'm working remotely, so I am always okay, home. <laughs> so that's different. But for me, what I've noticed is I really have to have that gym time has to be between me and home time. Mm. So. After work, I always go to the gym and it's a nice way to relax, to refresh my brain, to give me a barrier between work and home. And then I go home. And that way I don't bring shit from work to shit from the office to home. Right. Which is probably smart. Yeah. Because if, if I go on some days, I just go running after work. I don't go to the gym. And you think, oh, I'm going to go home and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go for a run. Somehow that, that turning around always takes half an hour to 45 minutes. So... You, you're still going for a run, even though that you said that your goal is to go sub four hour marathon and then stop running forever. Yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> I've noticed that. So I did the sub four hour marathon. That was great. I did it in, I think, three hours and 46 or 47 minutes, which I've, it's, it's like one of those things. It's sub four hours. So it's a really great time. But at the same time, Anyone I talked to who actually trained for a marathon did it even faster. And it was like their first marathon and they're like, what? Yeah, you know, that's the that's the problem with whatever. Once you get to know people who are like really into it, then of course they're going to be better than you. Yeah. But like we, 
I think we both achieved around similar times. I think mine is also around three, four to six or something like that. Nice. And uh, my, my best one. But the, the thing is, like, if you compare yourself with the general population, we are like a top 1%. Yeah, exactly. If you compare it to a marathon runners, we're like low. Yeah, because the general population doesn't even go run a marathon. But right. I think they're not crazy. Yeah, but I think my time in marathons, I think, puts me in the top. 35% or something like that of all marathon runners in the US, which... Ah, yeah, that's the thing in the US. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's a funny thing because um, I know, I remember a blog post, I think it was your first uh, San Francisco marathon mm-hmm. or, or half, I don't even know, but you you posted like where in the percentage, you know, like where you were. Yeah. And I looked, I, I had a better time in Ljubljana and I was way, way worse percentage. Really? Because... Yeah, I think the reason here, well, uh, that's just my speculation, but I think people here do not go for a race unless they're really prepared. Yeah. And they they don't want to be disappointed with themselves or like when talking to to other people. Whereas in US, people just go to say, oh, I'm going for a half marathon and they finish it and they're like super happy. Yeah, because in the, like the San Francisco marathon is really almost more of a social occasion. I've seen, I saw people, so a couple, when I did it the first time, I overslept and I started in like the last starting group or something. People were literally stopping on Golden Gate Bridge and taking selfies of themselves so that they could post on Instagram that they ran across the Golden Gate Bridge during the marathon. It's really a very touristy occasion. So let's let's stop there for a second. Yeah. Like how how can you oversleep a marathon? Well, it's actually very easy to oversleep a marathon because it's the starting time is 4 a.m. Oh, right. Yeah, because after that it gets hot cuz this is So, a funny thing, San Francisco is known as a cold city, right? Yeah. And you have that Mark Twain quote and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Funnily, it's not that cold. It's really not that cold. Uh, San Francisco has about twice as many sunny days as Ljubljana does. And people people in the US consider it a foggy city, quote unquote. Well, I mean, the fog has its own Twitter account. How cool is that? Exactly. The <laughs> fog has its own Twitter account, but there are like twice as many sun, sunny days in San Francisco than there are in Ljubljana. That's why I've... Oh, I looked this up because I was always curious because people were were t- saying that San Francisco is cold and fog. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Have you seen Ljubljana? You, come December, you don't see the sun for three months. It just doesn't show up. To be fair, like Ljubljana is in this valley and like once it gets cold enough, it's just fog un- until summer, more or less. Yeah. And and I I know that like once it gets wet in November the ground is basically wet until March. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so you don't have that here. But the thing here is that it's actually so so far south. I think it's on a similar latitude as Egypt. So even when it's cold out, the sun is really strong. Mm. And I remember you started like 4 a.m., or I think it's more 5 a.m. You started like 5 a.m. and you're freezing. You're like freezing your ass off. And then on Golden Gate Bridge, where it's really covered with fog, um, this year, last year, we you could barely see maybe 100 meters in front of you because the fog was rolling in. But then by 11 a.m., no, not 11 a.m., I ran four hours. So if I started at five, like by nine, around 9 a.m., it was the sun was so hot that I wasn't even sweating anymore. It was so terrible. Oh wow! Yeah, it was just you can just feel the sun burning you, uh, and oh, yeah. officially yeah, that's not an ideal running weather. Yeah, like officially it's only fifteen Celsius, but the sun is about as strong as it is in Ljubljana in July. Mm. I guess because this is hap- this actually happens in August. Because if it happened later in the year, it would be too hot. Because San Francisco has weird seasons, and summer actually happens in September and Oct- and October. Yeah, that is weird B- because of the Pacific, or yeah, because uh, basically what happens here is that San Francisco is next to the Pacific, so when the Central Valley gets really really hot in the summer, 
it pulls Pacific air into inland, and that makes San Francisco cold. But then when summer goes away in other parts of California, it stops dragging the cold air into the, into the, uh, I guess, inland. So San Francisco itself then becomes hot. Nature is crazy. Nature is weird, yeah. Yeah, how does this even work? <laughs> no, it's um, it's weird. Yeah, so you you're still still running. So what's your goal for now? Sub three hour marathon? <laughs> Sub three hour would be kind of crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> kind if I was actually training as much as I wanted to, or I guess right now I'm just training to keep to keep in shape, and I like the my main my main motivation for running is really just having that alone time where I'm not surrounded by anyone and I have time to listen to podcasts or audiobooks mm. and I'm just out there on my own running. And it's a very, it's more of a, it's almost a meditative experience. And at the same time, you get a really good workout and then you can eat like a pig pretty much <laughs> for the rest of the day. It's amazing. Um, yeah, especially if you go for a really long one and then you look at your watch like 2000 calories, like, oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause, feasting tonight. Cause I run a, I run a half marathon every Sunday. And those two hours are just, it's great. You go out, you're, you see some nature, well, nature, I, you see the city and some coastline and it's really nice. It's a nice way to relax. But if I was actually, and I still might do this if I decide that I have time for it, I'm, I'm thinking of trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon, mm. but that would be an extremely aggressive goal because... I would have to shave off, I think, 45 minutes off my marathon time. Yeah. Or you can just stay as good as you are and wait for you for just to get older. Because then like the qualifying time drops with age. It's, um, I think, so I'm 30 now at 35. The And right now my qualifying time is three hours and five minutes. <laughs> Yeah. At 35, they make it easier. It's three hours and 10 minutes. Mm, much, much easier. So much easier, yeah. I, I think <laughs> if I wanted to get into the Boston Marathon with a three-hour, 47-minute time, I would have to be 60, I think. Yeah, you don't realize how fast like three-hour marathon is until you try to run at that pace for like five kilometers. I can't run at that pace for a... F- I might be able to do a 5K. Yeah. I would probably die. Exactly. I definitely can't do a 10K. It's no, like a I, I tried. sub four minutes per kilometer, yeah. right? It's Yeah, I, I died at five. I was like, how can you do this for three hours? Are you insane? It's just... Yeah, and then the world record is what, two hours? Oh, yeah, I mean, th- those guys are just crazy. That's Have you have you ever seen them run? Like, just... it. The wind blows when they pass by. It's insane. Like, they go, they go so crazy fast. It's it's absolutely insane. I haven't seen them actually run like that in person. I've seen them on TV. And the most interesting part was that the guy who was following, the, following them on a bicycle was having really, really a lot of trouble keeping up. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing is, on, on, on TV, it doesn't look at that impressive. But I, I've been like taking photos in, of them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this was in Ljubljana and not the... Like, the top class doesn't even come to the ground. Yeah. They only go, like, two hours and ten minutes, you know, because that's, that's slow, you know, in, in, in their in their land. <laughs> but, like, when so they... Insane. Yeah, right. When they, when they ran past you, it's like, it's a surreal experience. I can I probably couldn't even sprint that fast. It's, yeah, because it's, what, they, they have to run 42 kilometers in two hours, so that's what... 10 kilometers an hour. That's 20, 21 actually. Yeah. Yeah, I I remember trying to do that on a bike and it's hard. Uh, well, on a bike you can do it, but uh, so like what? It depends on what kind of bike, like on a, on a bike you buy at Walmart, it's really hard. So that's around 13 miles per hour. Yeah. Uh, for, for anyone listening who doesn't understand kilometers per hour. Yeah, so <laughs> imagine running a half marathon in one hour and then doing it again immediately. <laughs> yeah. Right. I can't imagine, actually. And yeah, I would probably die on kilometer two. Yeah. For, yeah, exactly. for real. Like, my, on my last marathon, my first half was one hour, 42 minutes. And then I was so tired that I lost a half hour on my second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely started too fast. Um, that's that's my main issue, actually, on, on races. I, I really 
like try hard not to start too fast. I I like mm-hmm. am really focusing on like stop. Don't go too fast. Don't go with the crowd because they're going like crazy. Just stop. Um and yeah, yeah that's that's the worst because then then you you run out of energy and you're just like I can't do this anymore. Yeah, what I was figuring was that it's like you know I might as well just take advantage of having all this energy while I can. Because if I'm chasing minutes in the end, that's a recipe for failure. Mm. So I was trying to create as much buffer as I could for so that if anything goes wrong later on, I have time. Right, but you could have just run out of energy completely and then not be able to finish. True, but I was pretty sure I wouldn't run out of energy completely. And it was actually really helpful because I ended up having to stop and poop. (laughs) So it was helpful to build up all that. Uh, or when my legs started cramping up and I couldn't, couldn't walk, that it was very helpful to have those buffer minutes. Because, but maybe your legs, maybe your legs were cramping precisely because you had that buffer. Like if you wouldn't be running like crazy, they probably wouldn't. You never know, because <laughs> uh, one of the problems with San Fran- the San Francisco Marathon as well is that you have hills. Yeah, it's like a. Uh, two or 300 meter elevation difference over the marathon, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it makes a big difference. And Ljubljana, the second part is hilly. And the, the problem is with this, now, it used to be two circles of, this, of the mm-hmm. same track, but it's now, I think for four years or something, it's, uh, it's just one circle for the full one. Mm-hmm. And the biggest problem is that the, the biggest hill, the steepest and the longest hill is on 30K, oh. which as, as anyone knows, that's like the, the wall moment. Yeah. Uh and like and you pair that with the the longest and steepest hill which is really not That sounds fun. Yeah, it sounds very fun. And for me this year, well, last year actually. Mm-hmm. Um I I had um uh, a blister and it popped at 30k. Ooh. So I I had like triple the work on that hill. It was um That's crazy. Yeah. It was not fun. So Funny thing, I have never actually gotten a blister from running. Yeah, uh, my problem was I I wore almost new shoes. Yeah, why? They were why would tight. you do that? I I don't know why, because I'm an idiot. That's why. Uh, and and I wore them too too tight, so like the the it's it's hard to explain via voice, but basically, um, on the middle of the foot, the mm-hmm. um skin was sort of um chafing and. Mm-hmm. And then just got a blister and I felt it. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll probably manage. And then at 30K, it just hurt like hell. And I was like, okay, probably popped. And um, yeah. for the next like 2K, it, was, it hurt like hell. But after that, it was fine again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because you couldn't feel anything anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's amazing what we do to ourselves, <laughs> really. Yeah, it's, I'm still not quite sure why we do this to ourselves, but you know... Oh. You got to do something, right? Yeah. Why, why did you start? Um, I was watching a marathon in Ljubljana and I was walking around. I was like, you know what? I want to do this under four hours. And that's when I started running for real. Where did the four hours come from? Just, just out of thin air? Because it seemed like, yeah, because it seemed like, it seemed like an achievement because I figured Anyone who is in their 20s can run a marathon. You can walk a marathon in eight hours. So really, the only thing that matters is how quickly you can do it. And five hours seemed too easy because at the time I was running a 10K in about one hour. So I was figuring, okay, I can run it right now. I can run a 10K in a, just under an hour, probably four hours for a marathon sounds correct. Yeah, problem with running is uh, distance and time doesn't scale linearly. Yes. Especially once you cross the like one hour and a half, something like that, once your sugar runs out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 90 minutes is glycogen storage. Yeah. Yeah, I I knew that was the case. So I knew that I would have to like train for it and actually prepare. But I figured it was a good baseline to aim for. So you were running before um, because of boxing or just running? Yeah, I actually started when I started running when I first moved to the U.S., for a month or two because I couldn't go boxing. So I decided to just go running every day. Just as a as a way to keep to stay fit mm-hmm. and to get my uh mental break and things like that. 
Right. Why couldn't you go boxing? Um, there weren't any gyms nearby and I was living in suburbia at the time and I eventually did find the boxing gym, mm-hmm. but it was like a half hour drive with a car away Oh, yeah. and it was just really um, impractical and it wasn't a great gym. Uh, and by the time I could get to it, the, all the classes were over. So I just had, here are punching bags, have fun. And it's just didn't work. <laughs> so I decided to run instead. And then I, then I figured I'd just keep running. Because it's it's one of those things that's very easy to do whenever and wherever. You just bring some shoes or in the beginning, I was actually doing it completely barefoot. Nice. And it's, yeah, it's a low effort way to get a lot of good exercise and mental clarity. Yeah, I, I really like whenever I'm traveling, I like taking my running gear because mm-hmm. it's a really interesting way to get to know a city and like you you can cover much more ground in the same time yes and then like the next the next day or the next night or whatever it is the occasion you know where you are you just orient yourself better in the city Mm -hmm. i i I started practicing this i think like two three years ago and i do it now every time whenever i go anywhere yeah it's it's amazing you remember running in new york and paris and I was surprised by how much smaller they are when you're running. I know, right? Like the, the distances you can cover, it's it's insane. Yeah, it's like in a, I think in, I went for a run in Manhattan and I covered pretty much the whole, the whole of Manhattan or like the interesting parts mm-hmm. in what, an hour and a half mm. or the same in Paris. I went for a run in Paris and I was surprised because I was, I wanted to go for a, good distance run and it was r- and i started running out of landmarks to run to because <laughs> i went to the eiffel tower i went to the arc de triomphe the louvre the champs Elysees, all of that and i was like wait i don't have enough distance this all these things are too close together yeah they are very cl- close together anyway so yeah but when you're walking they don't feel close together yeah I, and I feel that the most because my usual running route, which I run like every other day, is around 10K. Mm-hmm. And there's a small lake at uh, 2K. And, you know, I'm there like nothing. I just basically start running and I'm there. Yeah, in like 10 minutes, right? Exactly. But then sometimes I, I go for a walk with, with a friend or like whatever. And it takes forever to get there. It's like, oh, my God, we're still not there. Like, God. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Because it's similar, it's the same here for me because I run to the Golden Gate Bridge and back, and that's like a two hour run. If you wanted to walk that, I think it would take you four or five hours. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's, it's crazy. And after run, when you have to uh, get those calories calories back mm-hmm. uh, i i noticed on your instagram you're quite a foodie if uh, supposedly that's the word that hipsters use now i guess <laughs> so um do you do you like to cook yourself yeah i actually I used to have a tradition of going out for brunch after every long run but it got as my long runs got longer it got too expensive yeah brunches are like breakfast but more expensive right um but also bigger it's hard to explain brunch unless you've actually had it because <laughs> the closest you can get to brunch in Ljubljana is maybe Le Petit. Yeah. Or at least from what I remember. And even that is more like an actual lunch than a brunch. I mean, there are brunch places now. Okay. Um, but they are still, the portions are still not on the size of um, what you would get in the US. Exactly. A brunch, a proper brunch here is. An, a meal of epic proportions. It's really a lot of food. Usually when I go for, these days, when I go for brunch, I starve myself until like 1 PM and then have brunch. And then the next time I have to eat, if I'm not running is like 5 PM or something, or even later. Um, but so I stopped going to brunch. So I cook, cook at home and I usually do, I've been doing duck eggs lately. So I do like three duck eggs, some sausages, a protein shake, bread. Is it because uh, of the taste or is it like some nutritional content in duck eggs? uh, I discovered them at the farmer's market and I just really like them. They taste creamier because the the flavor itself is almost the same as normal eggs, but they are a bit creamier. They have a much bigger yolk, uh, the proportion of yolk to... White is more in favor of the yolk than it is in in normal mm-hmm. eggs, and they're bigger, so they have more protein, more everything, and they're 
I don't know. I just, I started doing them because I like them. Mm-hmm. And the, I get them at the farmer's market. They're surprisingly a dollar cheaper than normal eggs. So, <laughs> you know, why not? Yeah, that does sound interesting. I, I've never had them, but now now it's like on my on my to-do list. Definitely. Yeah, they're really good. And they, they cook really well. And it's like, you don't, instead of four eggs, you need just three eggs, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I just make like a really epic meal. And then for the rest of the day, I just shovel food into my face. <laughs> and it was actually when I when I was getting re- preparing for my first marathons, one of the one of the biggest challenges was just teaching my body how to digest enough food to recover from a run like that. Like I actually had to train for that. Wow. Yeah, I don't have that problem. I have the opposite problem. Like my appetite grew like crazy once I started running. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do long runs, which I don't do as much in winter, um, like my my skill is not happy. I mean, I'm not happy with, with my scale. That's, <laughs> that's really what's happening. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't really have that problem that much because tri- I've been using my fitness spell for for a really long time probably seven or eight years already so you're logging your calories all the time yeah i log my calories all the time and it's been really helpful in curbing my appetite because i just if the thing says you need to eat more i just eat more if it says you need to eat less i eat less i've gotten very used to just listening to this Mm -hmm device telling me how much i need to eat i i tried using that but it's really hard to like when you're just having a home meal thing it's it's hard for me to gauge like how how much calories is in there like what exactly it is. see that's that's the easiest because you know exactly what you're putting into it and you just and you weigh everything obviously right you see that's work that's that's extra work on top of cooking which is not something i'm interested in i, I like to improvise you know i it's just I throw stuff in. I guess I got used to it. Uh, yeah. I like to improvise with uh, ingredients, but I like to also make sure that I have the right macros. And I don't know, it's just one of those things I got used to doing is just measuring all of my food. And with many years of doing this, I got a pretty good, good. I got very good at eyeballing how much food I'm making. Mm-hmm. So it's it got it gets easier over time, I guess. All right, and uh, speaking of macros, are you like on uh, on any particular diet, like low carbs or, or just? Uh, I try to be on the lower carb, like not low low carbs, because I've noticed that if I go low too low on carbs because of my because of all my working out, I start eating a lot of chocolate, mm. and it's just I crave chocolate. I'm assuming because I don't have enough carbs. Yeah, I think that just for a run, it's not that big of a deal because you usually don't go fast enough. But I'm imagining that for boxing, like a shortage of carbs can really mess with you. Yeah. And I'm actually, my runs are pretty relatively fast. Most of my runs are, are in the aerobic and anaerobic range. Mm. Like my, my heart rate is usually above 150. Right. Yeah. Which. Is relatively high. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I try to eat like thirty percent carbs, thirty percent uh, protein, and forty percent fat, mm. something like that, or thirty-five protein, thirty-five fat, and thirty thirty percent carbs. But then it, you know, it fluctuates a little bit day to day. But it's I'm not very strict about it. It's more a goal that I aim for. Mm-hmm. And I try not to stress too much about this stuff because you can get really carried away. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that sort of applies to anything. Like, you can get carried away with anything you do. Um, That's true. And, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think a lot of um, sort of uh, mental diseases are connected to this. When you when you just go overboard and start, start logging everything, start counting everything, it's just not healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I think the word the word you're looking for is anxiety. Yes, it is. So, um <laughs> uh I I saw some slow cooked things. So, do you have one of those fancy Wi-Fi Bluetooth whatever slow cookers <laughs> or do you do it the the old school way? I just do it the old fashioned way. Yeah. You turn on the oven and you put something in and you wait a long time instead of a short time. Right, exactly. It's really not that hard. No. Or like I have no idea or, what's the obsession with those connected tools to heat your water. It's like 
it's not that hard. It's uh, you know, well, you know, it's something that they can sell to you. But like sous vide, you don't need a sous vide machine. You just need a Ziploc bag. Yeah, and maybe like a thermometer. Yeah, or just try it a couple of times and eyeball it, and you'll get a feel for it. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Right. Um. So, on your, I think on your website, which I, I think like the the homepage Swiss.com is is mm-hmm. in need of their refresh, because oh yeah, it's like. There is not even uh, there's not even a direct link or exposed link to a blog, which is I think the most important part of you. Like your your blog is the most like you're really true, yeah, uh, really aggressive there, and you write a lot there. And it's just like this tiny link and completely unwrite. And uh, yeah, you you need to refresh that. It's uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's I've been meaning to do it for two years. And I just never get around to it. And I'm actually thinking very strongly now of just hiring someone to do it for me. Yeah, probably best. If you want to get it done, just get hire someone. Exactly. And now, and, and the reason I'm bringing attention to this is that on, on there you say that you're a digital nomad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I imagine it's, a, it's not a fresh website, but like when you were a digital nomad, or maybe you still are, mm-hmm. um, what are your favorite places where you traveled to? So... You see, I was a very, I was kind of a weird digital nomad. I don't think I was very good at it because I mostly just moved between the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, and Ljubljana. Right, that's not really being a nomad. <laughs> I mean, I was nomadic, <laughs> but I think I have a very, I have a kind of nomad uh, mentality. I don't really travel that much these days because it's hard. Like it's, it's. It's very easy to just have a nice setup at home with your desk that you know, with your monitor that you know, and all of those things. And it's nice when you know where everything is in the kitchen. And Absolutely agree. It's nice when you know where your favorite restaurant is or where your gym is and all those things. But I have a very, I have a nomad mentality in that I never really feel at home anywhere. Um, like I've been living in the same apartment for like three years and I know where everything is and it feels nice, but I don't see myself staying here forever. I don't even see myself staying in San Francisco forever or in the US. I have a very detached sort of uh, approach to things. Mm-hmm. So I, I would be very comfortable just packing up and moving somewhere if it's if it made sense. So I'm kind of a digital nomad in that sense, I think. All right. Have you traveled anywhere else or worked from anywhere else other than Ljubljana and San Francisco? Um, I did a really cool road trip where I, so in the summer of what was it, maybe 2014, I did a really cool road trip around Europe with a friend of mine. We took his Berlingo Mm -hmm. and we packed up a tent and our longboards and our laptops. And we just went and we traveled around Europe for a month. And I think we covered... 13 or 14 countries in 25 days. Oh, that's cool. A bit aggressive, but cool. Yeah, it was very aggressive. It was. It got kind of tiring towards the end, uh, where it was like, you you drive, you find a campsite, you put up a tent. We got very good at putting up our tent. Uh, you go, you walk around, do some sightseeing, plan where you're, where you're going to go the next day, go to bed, wake up in the morning, pack up, drive off. It, it got very... We got very, very well versed in the routine, but Mm -hmm. I was working on the white programmers work at Nightbook at the time. And I actually wrote a lot of it while my friend was driving. I would just sit in the front seat of the, of the car and just type, type away on my keyboard and stuff like that. So that was fun. What would Americans say to a car like Berlingo? Uh, I I don't imagine them having that, that kind of car there. (laughs) They do not have that kind of car. It's like a... (laughs) Uh, it's not a minivan. I think it would it would fall roughly in the minivan area, but it doesn't have enough seats to be a minivan. Yeah, it's like a a, ti- a tiny truck with not exposed uh, truck actually. Yeah, it's it like, closes. It's like a. I think it. I think the way I would describe it to an American is that it's a it's a hatchback pickup truck. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> 
That's a it's a good description. Yeah, that's a good description. Because I know that it's designed to be big enough to have to take one standard palette in the back. Mm. Uh, and I know this because my dad used to use one in his in one of his old jobs as a company car, and they used it to transport material between stores mm. because it was big enough to take a standard uh, shipping pallet. Yeah, I have a friend who just made it um, like the whole back back side is um, is a huge mattress, mm-hmm. and they they use it like for for traveling, which which is cool. I mean, they, they they do the same thing as you did, but they don't have to set up the tent; they just go in the back and sleep there. Yeah, yeah, that's I've been. That's another that's getting very popular lately and it's something I want to try but I don't think it would be very easy with the bird and the girlfriend <laughs> this whole van life thing Yeah I, I still imagine it's more comfortable than a tent It is more comfortable than a tent but my girlfriend also grew up in the US and she needs a lot of room <laughs> Let's let's not go there <laughs> <laughs> Yeah Um yeah I would I would just want to ask you for one last thing it, it's actually um maybe something you read late, lately or just like a um life kind of philosophy or whatever like is there are there like three books or videos or articles or whatever that you can recommend hmm, three books videos or articles uh well i think everyone should watch the new netflix show altered carbon or ultimate carbon or something like that it's really great but that probably doesn't answer your question. Oh, I mean, it, it does. Um, it's, it's one of those things. But <laughs> One of the books that I really enjoyed reading was a couple of years ago. It's called The Alchemist. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really good story about finding your true path in life and then just following it. Uh, so that was a really good book. I think everyone, especially programmers and engineers, should read How to Win Friends and Influence People and... I know it sounds like a totally scam of a book. No, it's a good book. But it is amazing yeah. and it's a re- it's a really good book. It's a reason why it's been the number one best-selling self-help book for the last 120 years or something. Yeah, it's it's an old book and I know there's a there's an updated version for like this century. Really? Yeah, but I I just skimmed the new one and I would still recommend reading the the old one. It's sure there are some old-fashioned tips, but like in general it's a the principles stand even mm-hmm. in, in nowadays. Yeah, I really like the old one. Um, I, I, and I read this on audiobook and it was great. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, and I think I had one more thing to recommend, but I can't remember it right now. It's, uh, oh yeah, I really liked Elon Musk's uh, biography recently. I, mm. I read that as an audiobook and it's one of those books that makes you think, Wow, why am I not? Why am I not doing all these things? Yeah, well, he, he's crazy. I I read that book as well, and there are some some chapters there that you're just like, wow, how how did you even go through that? That sounds insane. Yeah, it's he he's a totally insane person. I would never want to work for him. Oh no, because <laughs> it it sounds terrible. Yeah. But it's just in terms of inspiration and making you feel like what you're doing in life is worthless and giving you fire under ass to try to do something more it's a great book yeah I'm, I'm just happy there are people like him out there so that we can progress as a as a society as, as a whole yeah like yeah, you're right as a humanity yeah well but i mean we'll see how it works yeah we'll see i i definitely uh concur with you i would never want to work with that guy it sounds absolutely horrible yeah um but yeah, and it fits well with uh, American work mentality, I guess. Not so much with European one. No, definitely not with European. And I think that Europeans generally have a much healthier outlook on work and stuff. Yeah. Okay, uh, Swissus, thank you so much for this. Um, where can people find you? Well, the easiest way to find me is to just go on Google and type Swissus with a S-W-I-Z-E-C. And usually the first couple of pages of results are all about me (laughs) because I'm very consistent in using my name. Um, You can go on suizets.com slash blog to find a lot of what I hope is interesting writing and definitely don't go on the domain without slash blog because I need to update that. (laughs) Okay. uh, Well, great. Uh, Thank you. Thank you again for being a guest in Parallel Passion. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Take care. Bye.
Yeah, you too. Bye. All right. This was my interview with Swiss Steller. Parallel Passion is a new podcast, so please share with your friends and followings. One way to do so is to rate, review, favorite, follow, like, and subscribe, or whatever it is you do in your podcast app of choice. If you enjoy this show and want me to keep at it, please support it via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash parpasspod. That's patreon.com slash P-A-R-P-A-S-P-O-D. I got some stickers made and you can get them by becoming a Patreon supporter. They look really awesome. You can see some photos of them on the Patreon page. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We're at Parapasspot on all of them. You can submit your feedback there or, you know, just email me. All the links from this episode are in the show notes and on our website parallelpassion.com slash two. Thank you and have a passionate day.